We'll get right into 1 Thessalonians chapter 2. Uh, we have been in a series of living a counter-cultural life, uh, a life that kind of swims upstream or drives against the traffic uh, as we follow Jesus. Uh, we, we said if you follow a risen Savior, uh, really nothing in your life is normal. right? If you follow Jesus, the risen Savior, nothing in our lives then is normal. And what's happened in this uh, chapter here is what we see, uh, uh, Paul and Silas and Timothy have come to Thessalonica, uh, this kind of major city uh, in uh, Macedonia, and uh, they have created quite a stir in three weeks, and, and the, the city is in an uprising kind of, and, and so they've come and they preach the gospel for three weeks, but then, then they've left. They've gone on to Berea and other places, uh, mostly because uh, they saw they were probably going to get in prison like they were in Philippi just before this. And so they're being accused of kind of uh, kissing and running. You came and did your thing, and then you got out of here, right? You left us on our own, and they're being accused kind of of being inauthentic or unhelpful. And so in their defense, which we read in verses 1 to 8 of chapter 2, in their defense, what will kind of rise up, what will be highlighted, is their singular desire of why they live. Kind of the one main thing that drives them, their one motive that shapes everything they say, all that they do, their singular desire arises out of this kind of defense of their ministry. And it ought to be our singular desire as well. And this morning we'll highlight it by just looking at the, the contrast that Paul talks about, that it's not this, but it is this. And then the result, uh, what, what, what's the result of our lives when we live with this singular desire? All right, so let's get into this. Uh, First, uh, it is not. Uh, Paul says, uh, why did we come to you? You know, we came from Philippi, verses uh, 1 and 2, and you yourselves know, brothers, that our coming to you wasn't in vain. It wasn't purposeless. Though we'd already suffered, we'd been treated shamefully at Philippi. They were thrown in jail. They were beaten, right? And, And you know, we had boldness among you and our God to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. And then here he goes with this whole list of, and what we were living for was not, what we were doing was not, what we were not about this. Here it is. Our appeal to you does not spring from error or impurity, nor any attempt to deceive. We didn't come uh, in error with what we were saying. It was very purposeless. It was in line with who our God is and what he says is true. We, we didn't come with impure motives, with impurity, and, and nor uh, to attempt to deceive you. We, we weren't trying to deceive you or to get, to get something from you. We, we weren't trying to get you to like us and deceive, us, uh, deceive you in that way. And then he kind of says in summary in verse 4, we did not come to please man. We weren't here to please people. We weren't people pleasers. Verse 5, a whole uh, another slew of contrasts is named by Paul. Verse 5, we never came with words of flattery. We didn't kind of come to make you feel good about yourself so we could get something from you. As you know, nor with a pretext for greed. We, we weren't after something from you. We actually had something for you. God is our witness. We didn't come in these kinds of ways. And then in summary, he says uh, in this kind of list of negatives, nor did we seek glory from people. Verse, nor did we seek glory from people. 
whether it was from you or from others. We didn't come to be liked by you, and we didn't come to be praised by you. That's how we might summarize these two kind of contrasts to the one singular desire for which they do live. Uh, First, we did not come to be liked by you. I didn't come, we don't come, we don't go to our workplaces, we don't live in our homes to be uh, approved by those who live there. We, we, we are not people pleasers. We don't go where we go to be liked by others. Man, that's a hard one. <laughs> and we didn't come to be praised by you or to be uh, approved by you. For you to say, man, you're amazing. And for me to say, man, that makes me feel good. We didn't live our lives as people pleasers so that you would embrace us and say, man, you're really wonderful. You're so tolerant and loving and kind. We can be friends. And we didn't come so that you would say, man, you are really amazing. You're such a great co-worker. Uh, I just think you are the best so that you can be approved. This is not why we came to you. To be embraced or to be approved by you. Uh, Think about it. Uh, What rooms do you walk into and you get really nervous when you're there? You're looking around and you're nervous because of the people in that room. They, They hold something that you want so much. So maybe it's their approval or their embrace that you you kind of live a bit differently or you think a bit or you're nervous. You exaggerate your stories in a bit better way so that you can receive their approval or receive their embrace. You're you're nervous when you walk into the room. I was at uh, dinner, and uh, one of my closest friends, a Korean-American uh, pastor, and we're sitting together with a whole group of others, and we're, we're talking, we're eating some good food, and, and um, the waiter comes up, and you can tell they're, they're a little downcast, so I kind of ask him a little joking question, right? And, and, and then uh, she kind of perks up, right, and, and starts taking our uh, drink orders. And, and then we're talking around the table, and I notice this one guy's not talking. And so I say, uh, hey, what about you? How are you? And they, they kind of start engaging. Then this other uh, guy at the table who kind of has more clout than the rest of us starts speaking, and I back off a bit. I stop speaking. And my Korean friend, he looks at me and goes, you've got Good nunchi. I said, what's nunchi? Is that like some sort of disease or something? I'm just a white guy from the suburbs, right? And so he says, no, you got good nunchi. You got good kind of social awareness of the situation. You know who in the room has power and when to back off. You know who needs to be drawn in. And my mom was the queen of nunchi. Anywhere she went, she was always thinking about everybody else. So much so sometimes we were like, hey, you know, uh, think about us some more too. And she always was actually, she was always thinking about us or, or the, the person behind the counter. She was always trying to make everybody comfortable around. It was really an amazing gift or an amazing skill. But I think we sometimes turn the dial up on Nucci in a way where we come into a room and we curb every word we say or don't say. Because we don't want to offend people there. We don't want people to know that we're Christians. You came to church on Sunday, but does anybody know that? You read your Bible, it shapes your life, it shapes the way you think, the way you act, but, but does anybody know that or are you just a mystery to them? See, we curb our words, we hide our faith, we turn up the noonchi because we are so often people pleasers. 
seeking the embrace, the approval of others, not ones who live with a singular audience and the pleasure and approval of our God. See, the singular desire that will rise up in contrast to these negatives, the one that drives against traffic or swims upstream or is countercultural, the singular desire that Paul is going to talk about here is that he and we as Christians live to please not men, but to please God. The singular desire of our whole lives is to please God, not men. Why would this be our singular desire? Because we know who we are. Because we know who we are. Uh, Listen to what Paul says in verse 4. But just as we have been approved by God to be entrusted with the gospel. So we speak not to please men or people, but to please God who tests, who knows our hearts. Uh, Because we have been approved by our God, made sons and daughters by the grace of the gospel, because not only has he approved us and, and embraced us as sons and daughters, we don't need the approval of others, right? Not only has he embraced us and approved us and made us family, he's then employed us in entrusted us with the work of the gospel he says i've made you mine and i've given you the most amazing purpose of your whole life what else do you need so we look at our god in in a audience of one we say i live then to please you i live to please you i i have your approval You're the creator God. You you are my father. I I have your approval. I I have your employment. You've entrusted me with the gospel. I'm I'm your plan to get the good news out. You must love me and trust me uh, as you put the spirit in me uh, and and, and employed me in this work. I, I live just for you. Now let's not get the order wrong here. Because many of us think that we are not pleasing to God. And therefore, we have to live. Man, you better share the gospel or he won't be pleased with you. Or you better live morally or he won't be pleased with you. You better make up for this thing in your past or he won't be pleased with you. Or there's this broken aspect of your past. He must not be pleased with you. He's punishing you. No, the order is so important. Here's the order. He says, you are approved by God, entrusted with the gospel first. Approved. Because his son lived a righteous life in your place. Because his son paid the penalty for our disapproval, for our sin, for our shortcoming. First, we are approved and entrusted. And then we respond and say, I will please you. I will love you. I will live for you because I am already your son, approved and pleasing to you. Because of the work of Christ. We are improved and entrusted, therefore we live to please our God. Who I am plays out in the way I live. Every year I'll do this. And then about six months in, July, August, I revisit it. Uh, These are uh, these front ones here for the past eight or so years. I go back to who I am, my identity. And I write this statement. I tweak it a little bit each year based on what the Lord is doing in my life. 
identity statement. I belong to Jesus. I am God's image bearer. I am his son. I am his servant. I am his herald. Who I am by the grace of God. It's the way that Paul starts all of his epistles. Go, go back to Galatians, right? If you just kind of flip back there. Uh, listen to what he says in Galatians. He starts every letter with something like this. Paul, an apostle. Not a man nor through man, but through Jesus Christ and God the Father who raised him from the dead to all the brothers in Galatia. He says in Ephesians, I'm an apostle of Christ Jesus by the will of God to the saints. I'm a saint in Ephesus who are faithful in Christ. Grace to you and peace from our God and Father in the Lord Jesus Christ. He says in Colossians, I'm Paul, I'm an apostle in Christ Jesus by the will of God and Timothy, our brother, to the saints and the faithful brothers. Who are we? we we're saints, we're servants, we're the holy ones by the grace of God, commissioned in his work. Pleasing, approved, embraced by our God. We didn't earn that. We didn't earn that. He gave it to us. You can't lose that. He gave it to us by grace. It's a contrast. It's the one main reason we live. And then it plays out in, in what we seek, how we live our lives, right? We, we don't seek glory from people, whether it's from you or others, though we could have made demands. We could have pulled the apostle card. We could have said, we're amazing. You owe us glory. But instead, verse seven, but we were gentle among you. In contrast, we, we didn't seek uh, your praise, but we sought to serve you. We were living to please our God and be loud with our message, but, but we were also living not, not to get your glory, your praise, but to serve you like a mother taking care of her own children, a nursing mother. So we were affectionately desirous of you. And, and he goes on. He says, we didn't seek your praise but to serve. We could have pulled the apostles' card, but we didn't. We wanted to give our lives away for you. We weren't trying to get something from you. We were trying to give something to you. Uh, the metaphors are great ones here, uh, how Paul lives out his life. Uh, first, he says we were like a nursing mother taking care of her own children. And he says we came to care for you, to, to give of our resources to you in a tender kind of way. We poured our lives out to care for you. Later in verse 11, he'll say, we were like fathers among you with our children. We exhorted you, like we corrected each of you, but we also encouraged you and charged you to walk in a manner worthy of God. We, we, we said, well, what is right in living that would bring life to your life? And, and we helped and encouraged you to walk in this. We, we didn't condemn, condemn, but we encouraged, we encouraged our words were full of life to you. All through the passage, he says, yeah, we were like mothers, we were like fathers among you, and we were heralds among you. Verse 2, he says, like we were doing in Philippi, though it brought just calamity to our lives, like it gained us nothing, here we came again to declare to you the gospel of God in the midst of much conflict. We came as mothers caring for you. We came as fathers encouraging you. We came as heralds telling you about Jesus. Why? Because we didn't want your approval. We weren't seeking to be liked by you or to be embraced by you or to be approved or praised by you. We were living for our God, giving our lives away for you, encouraging you, telling you who our God is and what he's done in Jesus. 
This is a huge problem in D.C., uh, to live loving lives and to live with loud mouths about who Jesus is, right? To live transparent, uh, caring, open lives and also to proclaim good news of who Jesus is, right? Because we live with this scaffold, this hierarchy, and, and relationships are ladders to get us up a bit higher, so the moment you kind of open your life up to, man, here's where I'm struggling at home, it's like, man, I don't think he or she can take the next step up this ladder. Or you fear if I open up this piece about who I am or where I'm struggling or where I'm seeking God in this. And man, if I talk about my church life, oh my goodness, I, I, better, I may as well just break every rung on the ladder because I'm not going up anymore. And, and to reach the top of the judicial or executive or legislative branch, man, I just got to keep climbing from one relational rung to the next, using people around me to get there. Seeking their approval, seeking their embrace, living to please them, not my God. Did you see this past week, uh, Francis Collins uh, retired. Francis Collins was the director of the NIH, the National Institutes of Health. There's a whole slew of institutes of health, and he is over all of them, right? And, and he was head of the, uh, the Genome Project, right? He, he, he led this project that uh, mapped the DNA of our uh, genetics, and, and I don't even know how to explain it, right? Because I'm just a preacher. I'm no scientist. But he's a scientist and a legit scientist, and so he served in, in the Genome Project for years, and then Obama appointed him uh, as head of the NIH, and, and then Trump uh, also kept him on, and then Biden kept him on as well, and, and he just retired, and here's how he talked about it. It's been an incredible privilege to lead this great agency for more than a decade, said Dr. Collins. I love this agency and its people so deeply that the decision to step down was a difficult one. Done in close counsel with my wife, Diane, and Diane Baker, and my family, and I'm proud of all we've accomplished. I fundamentally believe, however, that no single person should serve in this position so long and that it's time to bring in a new scientist to lead the NIH into the future. I'm most grateful and proud of the NIH staff and scientific community whose extraordinary commitment to life-saving research develops hope to the American people and the world every day. Delivers hope. Listen to this quote about him. Few people could come anywhere close to achieving in a lifetime what Dr. Collins has at the helm of NIH, said Health and Human Services Secretary Xavier Becerra. It takes an extraordinary person to tackle the biggest scientific challenges facing our nation. And under three presidents, amidst three distinctly different chapters of American history, Dr. Collins, master of scientific breakthroughs and scientific reason, from mapping the human genome to fighting the most devastating pandemic of a century, has routinely broken ground to save countless lives while unleashing innovation to benefit humanity for generations to come. Amazing, right? How could a guy like that write a book like this, The Language of God? A scientist... Uh, Francis Collins, uh, Collins' argument that science and faith are compatible deserves a wide hearing. It lets non-churchgoers consider spiritual questions without feeling awkward. A great scientist of great faith, and here's what he writes, consider this. If the most important decision we are to make on this earth is the decision about belief, 
and if the most important relationship we are to develop on this earth is a relationship with God, and if our existence as spiritual creatures is not limited to what we can know and observe during our earthly lifetime, then human sufferings can take on a whole new context. We may never fully understand the reason for these painful experiences, but we can begin to accept the idea that there may be such reasons because there might be such a God. You see, he he takes science and he takes faith and he says, I'm a believer in Christ and the two can match together. And he still goes all the way up to the top as he lives not to please people, but to please his God. And and the claim was kind of widespread. Uh, He's known, uh, I talked to a couple uh, employees at NIH this past week. He's known for getting out a guitar. He's like a servant leader and a fun leader. He's known for getting out his guitar and singing with the NIH staff. He's not singing kumbaya or, or, oh, great is our God. But he's singing, right? He's loving people. He's encouraging people. And then he's writing books to show off his great God. Because our God has approved and entrusted us, we do not need you to like us or to praise us. Yet, because you are so dear to us, we love you so deeply, we are compelled to share with you the good news of the gospel. See, our singular desire frees us from people and living enslaved to them to please our God, to live with loving lives and loud mouths. And But our love for people, it really, that's what compels us to share the good news of what our God has done in Christ. Verse 8 puts it this way. This is the result of living with this singular desire to please the living God. Verse 8. So being affectionately desirous of you, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel of God, but also our own selves, our souls, because you had become very dear to us. We give our whole lives to you, telling you the message of who Jesus is and what he's done, and opening our whole lives to you, sharing every bit over meals and over conversations, uh, opening up who we are and what we struggle with and and what we're giving thanks over in every piece of our lives to you because we loved you. I love right before this, he says, uh, the affectionate language is all over it, right? uh, uh, We were like one uh, nursing mother caring for her own children. We were affectionately desirous of you. We shared uh, our own selves, the depth of who we are and our souls. Why? Because you become very dear to us. It's dripping with affection and love and relationship. It's so obvious that Paul, Silas, and Timothy, they love their God. They're living to please him, but they love these people. And, and, and the two just have to come together. Man, uh, my, my love for uh, my God and my love for you, my love for you, just it, it creates this longing that you would know my God. That you could have his approval. You could have his embrace in Christ. You, pick, you could become his sons and daughters. We care for you like our own children. You know, I'm done having kids. I'm done having kids. We've had six. We're done. Done. But I still love holding babies. Uh, Brandon and Tulani just came on staff. They probably have the cutest kid other than my own kid, you know, little Parker. And I love holding little Parker, man. He's a stud. And I'm like, Parker, I'm like hitting him in his belly. And he's like, ah. I just love it, right? But that's nothing compared to holding my own son. 
When my last was born, little Leo, and I held him in the hospital, I'm not a crier, and I wept, praying over him. I love him so much that I long for him to know my God. I long for him to know my God. My oldest son turned 15, and he hates it when I hold him, but I still love holding him, and, and I long for him to know my God. Those we love, we would long for them to know our God. That's why we share the gospel. Who have you fallen in love with? It just takes a little bit of time and a little bit of depth and you'll fall in love with them. It takes kind of getting outside of your cubicle at work, right? Like uh, going for coffee after work or or happy hour or or then even to the point where uh, you invite uh, their family over to dinner. You go over to dinner for their family's house, right? Uh, A little bit of time outside of work where where, where a co-worker uh, can become a friend and then eventually become family as they embrace our God. A little bit of depth, a little bit of questions, asking, hey, you know, what was spirituality like for you growing up? Or was church a thing for you? Or, or why do you enjoy work here? Do you hate work? Right? Just getting a little bit deeper. You'll fall in love with them, and, and then you'll long for them to know your loving God, that they might feel the embrace, the approval of their God, that they wouldn't have to keep living for their cause or for their politics or for their family for purpose and embrace in life, but they could be embraced by the living God, and see all those things take on new life and meaning and purpose eternally. See, I think we'd probably have to flip this verse. You see how the verse reads, Paul? He says, you know, we were ready to share with you not only the gospel, but also ourselves, our lives as well. You know, that's Paul talking. He says, wherever I'm going to go, I'm going to shout the gospel. He shows up and he starts yelling about Jesus. The whole town is flipped upside down. He says, I loved you guys. I, I loved you so much that I wanted to share my whole life as well, build deep relationships with you, keep in touch. I, I wanted to come back to you after we left. He's like, man, I really loved you. I wanted to open my whole life to you. I think we probably have to flip it. We're like perpetual bridge builders in relationships. Like I'm just sharing my life with this person. I'm building relationship. Because one day... When I'm like 95, I'm going to share the gospel. I think we probably have to flip it. We loved you so much. We didn't just share our lives, but we shared the gospel as well. We loved you so much that we told you about who we love. We told you about the one who's improved us, approved us and embraced us because of Christ. See, this is how people come to know Christ. When the, the, the living God breaks in through our lives and through our words, and by grace he sovereignly uh, turns a soul to himself and, and they embrace Jesus, right? It, it's often through our lives and our message. Right, your life. Because here's, here's in this area. People have to get to know a Christian. Probably in order to find anything out about Christ. Uh, because here in this area, everyone is prejudging who a Christian is. And no one thinks, man, a Christian could write a book like this. Because pr- Christians, man, they're bigots, they're uneducated, they're fools, they're right-wing conservatives. 
in this area, right? That's, that's what you get for being a Christian. So uh, when somebody uh, gets to know you, uh, they, they kind of go through this process of saying, oh, man, this, this person's not a fool. This person's not a bigot. This person's very kind, and, and they actually don't even vote the way I thought they'd vote or think the way I thought they'd think about this president or that person, right? This person, man, they're kind of sensible. I wonder what they had to say about who this Savior is they serve. Because ain't nobody just going to show up on a Sunday morning. Man, the preaching is so awesome. The band is so great. I'm going to church. Nobody here is saying that. Nobody here is saying that. But we have each been sovereignly placed in our workplaces, our neighborhoods, and our families to live our lives and share the gospel. Our lives matter. Why? Because people have been burned out there too. Burned by Christians. Burned by their perspective of who Christians are. So when we live in relationship with others, man, we can bring this sal, this, this comfort, this care, as, as, even as a nursing mother with her own children might bring. And then we share the message. And, and, and this has to be done, right? Because people don't know who Jesus is and, and what he's done. And people have misunderstood what Christianity is all about. It means voting this way or being in this voting block uh, or, or being a legalist, right? Oh, I know what Christianity is about. It's about going on Sundays and, and just following the Ten Commandments so that if you do good enough, God will like you. That's what people think Christianity is. If they have any religious backgrounds, it might be Catholic, right? And, and they say, man, I have felt the guilt all my life, and I'm just not going to step into another church where I can be guilted some more by a God who's not pleased with me. That's not the gospel. Our gospel is you are pleasing to God because of the work and the life of his son who died in our place and resurrected and made us sons and daughters by grace. Uh, now, it'd be... It'd be silly for me to say, if you couldn't swim, jump in the pool. And swim, 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 jump in the pool. Swim, 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 and you can't swim. We can't swim. So we said, hey, a couple things that'll be really helpful for you. One is just this uh, to whom, how document we often use here at the well. You can snag it in the back, and it just kind of gives you a guide on how to live where you share your life and the gospel as well. You can snag this on the back or on our resources page. Uh, just hit media, then resources. And also, as Chad has talked about, we've got a Thrive coming up. We want to train us on how to share our lives in the gospel as well for the next three weeks. Please sign up and go second service. You know, I, I wonder uh, how many folks came to Christ at NIH over these past 12 years where Colin served there. I, I know of one. Uh, this gal was at NIH, a scientist there, was uh, in support of the other scientists there, and and these two Marys started a 3D group, which is just what we call kind of our mini Bible studies, right? And they started at NIH. And, and, and Monique started attending with these two Marys. And, and over time, they, they, they clarified the gospel. And Monique uh, gave her life to Christ. And, and you saw this kind of stark change of who she was living for, living to please uh, men and people, and then now living to please the living God. It's radically transformed her life. I know of uh, three or four folks here at the well who are high up in the Air Force, and, and they're starting Bible studies that, that people, uh, one of them's a doctor, that can kind of uh, uh, figure out who Jesus is, and he just says, I'm just going to do a simple Bible study that talks about who Jesus is, and they're doing it at lunch. Twelve people came a few months back. 
Uh, this other guy high up in the Air Force, too, he's gotten this really sweet appointment now, and, and he just kind of opens his office up, and he says, I kind of feel like a pastor there. I just counsel people. Now, he leads with excellence. The guy is ridiculous, in the way he leads is fantastic. I know teachers that are giving their lives away in their school, and, and this one teacher is serving this one school with her community group, and, and, and we're getting emails from their principal, and she's getting texts from other teachers. Why, why do you guys do this? Because we live to please the living God who is so pleased with us already because of Christ. We're just responding to his love. Our God has not just shared his life with us. He has given his life for us. See, Jesus came down, and we were not pleasing to him. <laughs> we did not have his approval. We didn't have his embrace. We were actually running headlong away from him. Each of us were. Each of us have. But Jesus lived this perfect life as a, a human here on earth and, and did everything pleasing all the way to the cross where he hung in our place to pay the penalty of our sin and his blood was spilled for us. And then he was resurrected to newness of life that we could enjoy relationship with the living God. Now, every day living to please him until eternity comes, we get to spend all of eternity with him in his approval, in his embrace because of the work of Christ. Man, don't, don't you want your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends to know that? Hey, you're living in a way that will bring death if you live for your job. You're living for a way that will bring death and, and rejection if you're living for your family, if you're living for your coworkers, if you're living to climb the ladder. You'll never get there, but you can have life in Christ. He's given me life. I didn't deserve it. Let's remember again this week what our Savior has done for us. He's approved us. He's embraced us. He's freed us. To live for his pleasure alone. And then like he lived and gave his life away. Man, let's fall in love with the people around us. That we would proclaim this message boldly and clearly. Over the bridges of relationship that he's built by his grace. If you're a follower of Christ, would you enjoy what he's done for you this morning. And, and take his body that's broken, his blood was spilled. And remember who our Jesus is and what he's done. Let's take and eat and drink together. We have a God who's improved and embraced us, made us sons and daughters by the work of his son. Let's take and eat.